0: Hi, I'm Adam Summerton. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast.
1: Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. I'm Luke Edwards, and we're all still in lockdown. Uh, we're all sat all over the country in our in our armchairs, ready to do this podcast. Joining me, as always, is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob.
2: Yeah, hi, Luke. I've, I've got to say, I think this is quite amusing, actually. Right along the row of houses that I live in, every, every family, to a, to a man, to a woman, to a child, are out in the gardens. And then it's me and my son who've been out working all week in the jobs that we do. We're we're, in, we're all in the house because we can be, finally.
1: <laughs> oh, pass me, pass me that violin, Rob,
2: eh? <laughs> <laughs> honestly, Luke, um, and, and serious note, not complaining at all. Uh, I, I've got huge empathy for people who, you know, genuinely are stuck at home day in day. I have been for two weeks and, and obviously we don't know whether that's going to go on to be two months or, or three months or longer yet.
1: Stuck at home and doing workouts in the garden. It is Tom Lang. Hello, Tom.
0: Hi, Luke. Hi, everyone. Um, I can put your minds at ease. I can assure you I'm doing absolutely no work anywhere. So that's <laughs> at least one of us who's being able to relax.
1: And uh, there was a tweet out this week with all the National League North stats on. Uh, we'll look at them later. But cruelly, we tweeted out Dickie looking for a Telford player because we didn't see one on there. And we haven't heard from him for a while until today. Hello, Dickie.
3: Yeah, no, I've not hidden myself away after that one, but uh, yeah, good afternoon to you boys. It's uh, it's good to speak to you, and yeah, we'll 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 have a look through those uh, those stats later on.
1: Now, run our podcast lockdowns. What we're going to do is try and get on a guest every week, and this week we have got at Dart for manager Steve King. Hello, Steve.
4: Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Uh,
1: brilliant to have you on, Steve, and uh, I mean a lot. Of the the reason we wanted to get you on as well because you wrote a really interesting column. In the non-league paper last week, it's the the old age-old conundrum that's been circling around and we won't really know an answer to it at the minute. But in terms of the season then, Steve, you you, you touched on it briefly last week in the non-league paper in your column. You want the season to carry on, whether that be in June or July, don't you? Yeah, I, I just,
4: I just think football, if, if football can be played out, obviously, that's got to come from the government and the F.A., and we'll only do that so when it's safe and fit to do that, obviously. That all comes first. We've all got families. Most got children, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that can only happen as and when people say it's safe. And obviously there's a point where, where, where when, when is that going to be? Um, everybody's looking at different times, different angles. You hear this professor saying that. You hear that professor saying that. And they're contradicting each other. So it's it's a matter of, if it can be, I think football should be done and finished on the field, definitely.
1: I know you said, Steve, as well, it's like you wouldn't be, you're certainly like well up for doing it in the summer, because like you said, it's lighter nights as well, Saturday, Tuesday, um, it's going to be warmer, you might get... Um, more fans out, you can have like a beer tent and stuff and make your money that way and you wouldn't have to worry about the weather as such and the pitches whether it be on you can just kind of get it through and, and, and blaze through a month's worth of fixtures can't you and finish it off?
4: Yeah, no, definitely that, that, and, that, and, and that's what I think I think, you know, we're on lockdown there's no one receives revenue for March or well, part of March, April you could, if it's called upon later on in even in July um, everybody's going to be in the same boat. Everyone's going to say, "Well, you know, we'd have to do a mini preseason." worldwide. Well, why? Everybody's in that same position. No one's got an advantage on anybody. Players, you know, we've certainly spoke to players that are doing own, their own little one, you know, their own little bits now to keep going because at any time they may be called upon. Um, so everybody will be going into the same boat, and I think it's everybody has probably got eight, nine, ten games to play. In that, you've definitely got four home games. The revenue you, you would get from the four home games when you haven't had none for the time that would be probably four or five months. So I, I think it's, it's, it's the way it should be decided.
0: I mean, it sounds from, from what you're saying there, Steve, is there's potentially even an opportunity to look at a, a positive out of this and have sort of a festival of football in the summer once um, lockdown is finished and we're able to go back about our lives again.
4: 100% and I think I think we would get more fans through the door I think it would be a different it'd be it'd be a strange strange but I think it it would it's certainly uniting people I think the Premier League will definitely would have finished their season by the time we get the opportunity to come back and play I believe I think so the fans wouldn't go the Premier League would be finished so you could always get them fans, like a non-league day which we've had over the years when there's no professional clubs playing and they all go to the non-league and your gates go up, uh, they, they could give back in that way as well. And I think we could you know, try and make a positive out of a negative.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing as well, Steve, is it's, it's not like usually in the summer everyone's finished a season and they all jet off on holiday. It's not going to be quite simple to just jet off on holiday this year. So you'll have people twiddling their thumbs in June and July, won't they, wanting to watch some football. So it could it it could be to to like clubs in the national league South, certainly on the north below the national league to their advantage,
4: yeah, definitely, you know, and i've I've spoke to a number of managers at all levels of phone calls that have been going on and on and on, and there's certain people that want different things, and i you know i I just think that I think you you know if there was one or two games to go, I think you could say, you know what it is what it is, that team's top, they're there. You know, let 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 them two go up. Let them go up. Points per game, whatever. But you, for me to have points per game when there's still minimum of 27 points to play for, it's ridiculous to to, um, to you know promote people with that amount of points to play for. I, I, I just think this should be played out. Or if it really can't be played out because months get keep keep getting pushed back to June, July, August, then none avoid it. That that that's, that's the two scenarios. I don't believe the points per game is is the way to go because people dip forms, gather forms. You know, form is better. You know, it, it swings and roundabouts. So I, I don't I don't agree with that one. When you talk about talk
0: about form, there obviously uh, your side, Dartford, uh, just about pulled into a playoff place by the time the league uh, stopped. You were the most informed side over the last six games in the National League South, so it it, it does really highlight your point that there are sides who are who are coming into this break in a lot better form, and obviously all the managers in your in the scenario you've described would have to balance squads. Injuries come thick and fast as you get to that stage of season, and one of the big things as well is player contracts. I understand is going to be a large issue, um, particularly at non-league level where contracts last for generally a season. Um, maybe two at most. How would clubs manage that issue of having the season continue into July or August when players' contracts are expiring in June?
4: From, from our sort of point of view, we, we've gone. There's April to be paid. Uh, but, you know, end of April the contracts run out. First week in May, spending it, and it gets extended a couple of weeks if you make those playoffs. From our point of view, what I would personally be doing would be saying, you know, you're going to end up getting paid for April with no work, when we do and if it happens we go and complete the season we come back and play that month that we haven't played you've got paid for that month so come and play that month in the scenario when we get called back um, that would be my thing to the, to the players um, I believe that I could get 99.9 of them to, to, to buy into that, no problem because obviously we're in a position where we're, we're trying, trying to get promoted if possible um, so that would be my scenario, but I don't think they've worked that one out yet. Do they run with the players that do the league run with the players that have already been registered with the with the club throughout that calendar year? Um, do they let you sign other players? I think that's a difficult one because you could go and sign some unbelievable stars to try and get you promoted in those last so many games. So uh, that's a, that's a tricky one that I wouldn't. I haven't got too much to say on that that point of view, really.
2: It's a very difficult one, that Steve. There's so many different factors to take into account. I think if a decision's made about contracts, it needs to be made across the board. Uh, you know, it could open a huge can of worms if if sides are allowed to to uh, sign new players. I think one one where a line's drawn in the sand is what you've got is what you've got. That's pretty much what most people would have had going into the last eight, nine, ten games, yeah. games anyway. Yeah,
3: but I'll just agree, looking
2: yeah. at the bigger picture, um, I just wonder as the as the weeks go by now and and all intelligence seems to suggest that we're going to be in lockdown for longer or we're going to be having periods of lockdown and and maybe they may be lifted. I wonder if it's actually only um, strengthening the argument for the season to be finished, because if you're not careful, you're going to have this season not finishing, not finishing properly, being expunged, whatever. And then you're not going to be able to get a good full, full season in next season either. Um, the longer the procrastination drags on, from one point of view, it would seem to make sense that when you can play football again, finish the blooming season.
4: Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say if you, if you were back playing in July, for example, you crashed the season out in a month, which, which is possible because as many times over the years there's been waterlogged pitches and there's been times when people played Saturday, Tuesday, even they even bought a Thursday and a couple of people that sketching up the games. I wouldn't go as far as doing that but I would say crash out the eight games in, in the month and then you've got the two weeks into the class and now if that took you into August fine delay the season for a month where you'd normally start the first week in August you know start maybe first week second week in September and where you would normally do six weeks of uh, midweek fixtures which they always do at the start of every season do 12 weeks so you're, catching, you're playing catch-up there, everybody's in the same scenario, everyone's in the same boat. So that way you've caught, you've caught that part of the season up there in the new season, plus don't have replays in the FA Cup, just go straight to the wins or the penalties. Same, same in the trophy. So that way mm-hmm. you're cutting down on games and fixtures again there. It's easy. I think it's easy done if it's really been thought about.
1: Steve, if you were, if the season was to finish now, would you go for a non and void option, or would you just say fair enough, wheelstone atop, they go up?
4: No, I, I, I think um, I, on my understanding that there's there's a letter going out this week that's coming, and it is asking you, do you want the season as a club to continue when it's safe to do so? I think everybody now is going to have that vote to vote, um, and then if. If they, if majority say, yeah, we would like the season to continue when it's safe to do so, and that date gets pushed on, pushed on, I, I, on my understanding that it would be then pushed to the clubs again to vote again. Do you want to do points per per game to see who gets promoted? Now, I I would I would struggle to, to vote on that. From like I said to you, if it's one or two games, I would say yeah. If it was if it was like Liverpool, I'm a Liverpool fan, but if it was Liverpool 24 points ahead, you can argue whatever they are, say, you know, that's done. But when a team is only three points ahead uh, and there's 27 points to play for, how can you give someone the league title? Mm. I, I don't agree with that. You know, and I yeah. think Will Stein have done... Um, I think Will Stone have done unbelievable this year. And then my friends at the club, you know, the manager used to play for me. So, you know, they've been at the top all the way through. So if anyone you would say, to win it, I would say them. But I still think there's a right and fair way of doing it. You can't give someone a league title with 27 points to play for. I, 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 don't, I don't see that.
2: Yeah, it's very difficult. Another example in the uh, National League Premier, you've got Barrow. Yes, they've led for a very long time and no one's really got close. But Harrogate have got close at this point And there are enough games left for that to change. They have got to play each other. So it's very, very difficult. Steve, I I don't know if I I missed part of the point that you made earlier, but you seem to infer that you thought the Premier League would be back playing football before the National League. Is this because you think there's a decision already made perhaps for for games to be played behind closed doors? And is that something that you'd also advocate?
4: Yeah, I think think definitely that's the way they're going to go. I think they'll be away from their families for, say, a month. And, and they would crash out the games as well, and I think every game would be live. Um, I think that's definitely the way they're going to go. They they have to they have to see out the season some way, shape or form because the loss. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, seven hundred and fifty million they're talking about losing, and that's a knock on to every single club. They'd have to pay back money that they've received as well. So mm. I think they they do all the testing. They test all the players. They test all the staff. Beyond the... It would definitely be behind closed doors, in my opinion. Um, whether we can stretch that far, and is there a whether we can do that into our level, I'm not sure. The benefits of
1: that. Would you, so, would you not advocate then playing behind closed doors at our level? I know revenue is key, but it's a way of getting the season finished.
4: Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no, but I'm not sure the benefits. I think a lot of the benefits would. Um, I think clubs would look at it as if they could have fans there. Obviously, they would love to, and and the, the the financial rewards for that to keep their club afloat with four or five home games still to play for each club. So I don't think they would. I think they're either going to go down the route of the EFL because the knock-on effect of the the crossover of the teams getting relegated, one team getting relegated from the EFL and the the, the national teams going up. Um, I think we'll follow suit with them, but I do think that it would have to be. I don't think they would do it behind closed doors, no. I, I really don't think at our level they do that.
1: If it did happen, would you would you still invite, say, the media in then and maybe get them to stream the games with with sort of the consent of the national league?
4: Yeah, I've got no problems with that at all, but. It's all about the. It's all about what. It's all hypothetical, and it's all about what the government say mm. and what the FA say. We're we're bound and abide by that, and whatever decision they make, that's that, that's fine. I struggle to. I just struggle to find about giving, giving a championship away with twenty seven points to play for. I, I, I think that's, that's too much, because I remember Dartford three. I think two three years ago, they lost the championship uh, to Havant at Waterlooville on goal difference. And that year, Braintree was seven, 17 points behind uh, both Dartford and have and they got promoted by winning the playoffs. So there's an example, they're 17 points behind, and they, they're, the, they're the team that ended up getting promoted. So I think you, you can't call going into playoffs and things like that, It's it's about form and and
0: things like that So yeah I, I remember that end of season very clearly I was down at Bognor Regis on the day that um, Dartford only drew and got pipped to promotion by Havant and Waterlooville uh, and it is it is those sort of end of season climactic events which make football so <laughs> special I think one of the areas where there could end up being a lot of confusion is with different league systems making decisions on their own so we're in a situation where steps three to six have said they are null and voiding the season there will be no promotion relegation between those divisions well, what then happens if the national league say no, we're going to play to conclusion, and for the sake of argument, from national league south, Braintree and Hungerford Town end up in the relegation positions? Are they reprieved? Does somebody then get nominated from the, uh, the step three leagues to come up? It does lead to a lot of other questions if some leagues finish and some leagues don't.
4: What they what they've done though, have already come out and said, that no one will be relegated from. The conference south so they've already nice. done that so that can't change of working getting promoted to to the conference south uh, i'm not sure if the north have done that but i imagine imagine so because they were going to go to 24 teams this season coming um but now they're not going to do that they're just going to stay at the 22 so that's why they're saying no one's getting relegated if if they played it out and two got promoted from the south and two got promoted from the north four Obviously, we'll come down from the National League. Two will go in the north, two will go in the south. And if, it's, if there's more southern based or whatever, they would just logistically pull someone out of whatever division to make up the numbers. As in, so you essentially
0: mean, see teams teams with transit between the National League's divisions, but not outside the National League system.
4: Yeah, yeah. You know, like Bishop Stortford used to be in the south. They went to the north. Oxford City used to be in the south. They went <clears> to the north, and now they're back in the south. So they would pull it so it's equal because of the only one team coming down from the League 2 because of the Berry situation. Stephen is, you know, at the bottom of that at the moment. They would be the only one team coming down and two going up to make their numbers back up to what it is in in League 1.
1: Do you think then that for for the next season, then when it does eventually start, that you're looking at for like Steps 3, for example, you're offering extra promotion places to make everything a bit... Better like they did a couple of seasons ago. You know, to make the extra Midlands League, do you think maybe you'll get? There's a case of maybe you'll get three teams coming from the Northern Premier League, the Southern Division, and, and filtering into those leagues, and to make up the requisite numbers.
4: I, I just think that what they've done, what they were going to do this year, they will put that on hold for one year, so that that the whole program what they were going to do for that for this year coming, you know, an extra two in the south, an extra two in the north, or whatever. They will, and I don't know about other teams, other leagues and all that, but that whole platform of what they were going to do this year, I know it's on hold for one one year. So whatever that consists of, I can only speak for the South, but I don't know if it was extra places, league below, going up, etc. Et all, I, all I know that the South division was going to go to 24 teams.
3: Yeah, I suppose the point I picked up on is what something Steve said earlier about um, clubs actually voting for whether they would use... Points per game as a way of um, finalising the league table in the event they didn't carry on. And um, I don't know what, Steve, what you think about this, but my feeling is that you you wouldn't get a clear consensus between clubs because, you know, self interest is ultimately going to play a role in that. And you've got teams in and around the playoffs who are going to, you know, they're going to go for whichever one suits them best.
4: 100%, and that's what's going to happen. But what they've done, in, in my opinion, is the league. They put it out there to clubs because they're frightened of getting sued, and I think if they went down one route, you've already heard of different clubs talking about going legal. If they put it out to the clubs to make that decision, then they can say, "Well, we put it out to the clubs. You know, 15 said they wanted to carry the league on, seven didn't. We've gone with what the clubs say." So that way, if you do, if you if you don't get the majority and you don't restart, and you go to points per game. I think less carnage because, for example, in our league, that would be Wiltstone and haven't getting promoted. So then you're going to have four teams in the National League going to get relegated with still 27 points to play for. Do you know I it's, it's, that, I think that's unfair. I think you've just got to go. That's when you squash it and you go, you've got to go again because that's not played on the football pitch. That's not fairness. Um, a season is a season. Um, like like you said, you was at the, uh, the the Bogner down at Bogner when you know haven't won the season over Dartford by goal difference, at the same points by goal difference. I think it was one goal. That's how crazy. That's played all the way. All about football. And obviously now it, it, it it's not. I don't think it it could be a fair present of, of giving someone a championship with all them points to play for, and relegating people on with all those points to play for as well.
1: No, I mean it's this debate. is obviously going to roll on and on and on. Now, if I was to a a night year ahead of handing out money, Steve, um, how would you divvy everything out? If obviously the Premier League agreed to give out a sum of money along with the FA, I think it's it's
4: in the it's in the levels as it is. I think it's, it's widely said that 125 million has come out, be um, coming out hitting people's clubs this week, and a stroke next week. Um, I think obviously that 125 is. The most is going to go to the championship, which is understandable. That's the the biggest overheads, and then and it was filtered down to League One, League Two, National League, and obviously the North and South. Um, I hope they don't forget us down there, and, and they give us decent uh, amount of um, revenue. But what what they did before that was ask every league and every team to to put their losses in what their losses were going to be, and obviously some. Some I can I talk about clubs in our level. Some of clubs in our level, they just go there on a match day, and and that's their, you know, and their bars and things like that. Whereas we've we've got a whole establishment, it's a community club. It's a brand new stadium. You know, they've got we've got free pitches on the go. We've got bars, we've got restaurants, we've got function rooms. So we lose a far more lot a lot more money than what say a side that's just got a clubhouse for example so every club had to put in what their losses would be over a period of time so we're hoping that you know that kind of we would get that reimbursed um through the money that's coming out
0: yeah so just on the money front um at the moment what we're seeing is a conversation around the fa the league system the clubs higher up the pyramid providing this money um to help out those lower down the system um, but in other industries, there are a lot of businesses, airlines particularly, who have been asking for government handouts. Uh, two weeks ago, we had Danny Searle on the show and he was discussing how important a club can be in the community. Um, Steve has just said similar to this podcast in the past. Do you think that football is something that the government should be looking to prop up financially or are there, are there, are there other fish for them to be frying?
4: Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Good
0: question, Tom. I,
4: yeah. I, I think. You know, so I think I think it was Waters, the ex folk player, come out of something today saying, why, why this was his argument? Why should um, footballers pay have pay cuts and all that stuff when they pay huge amounts into taxpayer, in, you know, into the tax into the HMRC? Um, they're the biggest, one of the biggest taxpayers. Football football players. So I said, why are we asked being asked to take a 20 30 percent pay cut? So. What you know and I know, whatever way this is all going to be sorted out with handouts here, there and everywhere, keeping businesses afloat, keeping this, they're going to get it back off us somewhere along the road, uh, down the road. Whether it's two, three, four or five years time, things will go up and the the government will claw this money back some way, shape or form.
0: I saw mentioned on Twitter that if the season can't be completed, there's still an awful lot of prize money left in various pots. For example, there's 13 million pounds left in FA prize money pot that's something that could quite easily be distributed around the clubs. Um, you know, £13 million, if kept within the non-league system, could probably cover a lot of clubs' running costs for the periods they're not playing.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those that, us, you know, there's teams below this, the national pyramid, you know, that have, you know, invested heavily as well. Um, so they've got to be at losses and, and should be, because all, all you're hearing, even though I'm involved in conference level of football at the moment, is, you're hearing is the money's come out and it's going to Football League, the Championship, National League, Umbrella, but none lower down than that. So obviously we feed Football League and the Football League, uh, and EFL feed the Premier League. So I can see where where they've done that, but there's a lot of losses at levels below us. And something should be done to help them. And I haven't seen anything come out to say that each club's going to get this to, to help them through their times as well. I think, in a way, not in a way for it to have happened now, March, April, is better than that. If it was happened around Christmas time, when the club's losses would be even greater, because everybody knows the season finishes in May. Anybody and everybody does their same old thing in June, June, July, preparing for the season in August.
3: This is a message from the government and the NHS about how to protect yourself and others from coronavirus. Wash your hands more often than usual, for 20 seconds each time. Use soap and water or a hand sanitizer when you get home or arrive at work, when you blow your nose, sneeze or cough, and when you eat or handle food. For more information, go to nhs.uk forward slash coronavirus. Protect yourself and others.
1: Getting back to football matter Steve, you're pointed on october the 10th and and since then you've had a, a, a nice steady rise up the table and um, I've got you're just in that as as we speak now you're in that last playoff place aren't you and obviously if you feel the season can be carried on it you can give it a real shot at promotion i suppose
4: yeah we well, now we we're, we're we're one up from that we're six but even we, better <laughs> yeah. i mean we came in there when we we're full bottom and um, the first 10 games were top of the form guide, 15 games top of the form guide, 20 games top of the form guide, and 25 games top of the form guide. So we, we've actually got more points than anybody since we've been in there, more points than the top side. Um, we've scored more goals than anybody and conceded the second least. Um, so from that point of view, it, it couldn't have gone any better to changing personnel from you know, tactical side of things, changing players buying into the way you play to the way they used to play. Everybody's bought into what we've done and to get two points per game since we've been there, it's almost like championship form. So, you know, from from that point of view, from a footballing point of view, I couldn't have gone any better.
1: What what was the biggest problem that you faced when you walked in the door then, Steve?
4: (laughs) Being honest, uh, getting the fans to make sure they liked you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I was... uh, the most popular guy. I've been, you know, I w- I've managed against their rivals last year, uh, Welling, where we got to the playoff final finals and lost to Woking. Like anyone said, I I remember when I took over at Macclesfield, and they'd been relegated from from the league, and I took over in the National League, and I used to speak to I spoke to Alan Pardew, and I said he had gone to Newcastle at the time, and I said and they fi- I think they finished in the top six or seven in his first year or second year. And I said, how did you win over the fans? Because they didn't want him up there. I remember they didn't want him, mm. and, and in the end, they loved him after that season, you know. And I just said to, I said to him there, how did you win over the fans? He said, just win, <laughs> just win. You win football, it changes everybody's mindsets, doesn't it? So we were lucky enough, like I said, to go in there and get two points per game since we've been there. And all of a sudden, you know, the place, you know, is buzzing, um, and the fans have been fantastic to me since since I've been in there.
2: Steve, you talk about a winning mentality and two points a game. It's something you've done on so many occasions now. I think you showed championship title winning form, even at Whitehawk when you went back there the second time and faced a 22-point deficit towards safety and very near pulled that off. Tom will correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, because as much as I like to think I'm into stats, he's, he's the stat king. I believe... From, from the research I've done, you're the most successful manager in conference South history or National League South history finishing first, second, third, fourth and fifth. You've reached the playoff finals three times as well. Outstanding achievements. You could be on track for a fourth. I've got to ask you this question though, Steve. Such a good track record. So much success. Why is it that you personally haven't had or haven't been given the opportunity to manage um, at a much higher level?
4: I ask myself that a lot. Um, I, I really don't know the answer to that. Um, what I do to be successful is I don't leave any stone unturned. If, if people that know me know I'm out eight days a week, it's I'm watching game after game and contacts are, you know, are, are there. I speak to so many people in the game. I'm a study of the game even now. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I thought I thought I got that break at Macclesfield. Did ever said well they I was in the top seven the whole season at Macclesfield until they just sort of sacked me. Got to the fourth round of the FA Cup, which they'd never done in a hundred and odd years of history. Sold four players for them at the end of the season. That whole season, that whole group of players that I put together, I think twenty players, seventeen went into the Football League, League One and Two some of them playing in the Championship now so the recruitment was good everything about it From Macersfield it was obviously you've seen the what's gone on over the years there um, You know, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff there so I came away from there but just getting the opportunity isn't it? And I, it's, it's, it's a difficult one I speak to players, managers now that are lower lower level down you know County League level Ryman One have done ever so well and they said how do I get the chance to go the next level and I I just said it's very very difficult very difficult getting the opportunity Um, I know I think I feel I feel I'd be successful but it's just getting the opportunity to get into the football league
1: did the Macclesfield job give you a bit of a hunger to do that as well Um, because I think did you have experience at Northwich as well were you at Northwich Vicks for a bit
4: yeah that was an experience (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that, but, I but you have managed that. It at
1: that I level before, haven't you? You've had a couple of goes at it, and obviously, if you went into sort of a stable club, a a, a proper maybe next league club, that you you would flourish maybe.
4: Yeah, I mean, I thought I had that at Macclesfield. I thought, you know, I, you know, what I built there, I, I to, you know, the, the budget was cut from the football league budget, and I, I put a, a very very exciting team together, and you know, everybody was coming out. The football that we played, was they'd never seen nothing like it. And Macclesfield in 50 years, blah, blah, blah. Put a f- fantastic football in, athletic quick side there. Played the best football they'd ever seen there. And um, like I said, it was testament to that. Normally at the end of the season, one or two players might move on to the higher level, but 17 players moved on. And I think, yeah, I, I, I just... <laughs> I mean that that platform when Northwich wasn't a stable club, and obviously you know what went on there was it was, was shambles, locked out of stadiums, and so on and so on and so on. And and Macclesfield it turned out to be an unstable club at the moment, um, a good club but an unstable club off the scenes. But yeah, getting the opportunity at a good club, and I think to be fair, at Dartford it's a good club, it's a good setup, it's a fantastic stadium, um, fan base has got potential. To, to, to go on, um, sort of averaging 1500, um, it's got potential to the next level, two, two and a half thousand. So it, it might be that I'd have to take a club into the into there to get the opportunity in there.
1: I was going to ask you, Steve, do you think you've not had the opportunity at the level because of the perception of you know you're a bit of a ranter or a raver? You're only good at getting players in. People don't think you're like tactically a good manager. But do you think people just see that one side of you and think I'm not, t- I'm not, I don't want to touch him really?
4: Yeah, I just think I know my football, I know my stuff and you can't, you can't win championship after championship or be in playoffs after playoffs after playoffs for for your whole career to not be good at your job, in my opinion. Um, and that's, you know, I'm passionate and, but I pat on the back and I get, you know, I very, very rarely ever fall out of a player. I've moved 30 players from non-league into the football league. Players in the Premier League playing now that played for me. Um, I have that thing that, you know, you, it's in the stepping stone. If you've come out of football, there's a way back for you. And I always try to put the arm around them and, and, and show them that way back. And I do think, it, it, like I said, it, you know, I, I, you know, I can say things now, maybe should I, shouldn't I, but I, I will because I'm that character. But I remember going for the Dartford, Dartford job and they said to me, one of the questions they said to me, they said, there's this reputation, you may overspend the budget. And I said, well, can I just stop you there? I said, there isn't a manager that can overspend the budget. No manager controls a budget. The club control a budget. The chairman or the person the person with the purse strings controls the budget. So a manager do not get a wheelbarrow of money to hand out. It do not work like that. It goes through people's bank accounts, et cetera. So I'll only spend what's given. But because I've always had good, I could get good players, people would automatically think those players are pay, playing, a lot more than what they're actually playing for because I've had that in my knowledge of players I I asked, I stopped in the question and I said whatever you give me I'll spend and I'll make that five grand a week budget look an eight grand a week budget just by players and the way I put things together, it's something I've always done and I think recently I didn't even realise this until the other day the chairman at uh, Dartford done an interview and it's on it's on Twitter Dartford's Twitter and he said that that came up about budget and he said that he's just better at any, anybody at spending the money that's given to him and that myth of overspending is is crap basically mm. so but you know what it's like to throw uh, a bit of uh, mud and uh, stick and everybody wants to jump on it that you're not good at what you do it's because you've got this or because you've got that um, and I've never ever had a massive budget. I've never had. I've always had middle of the road to top ten budgets in in whatever division I've been. But I've made it look a, a bit more superior to the whatever the budget is. But
1: You've dispelled that myth, Steve. So uh, that, that, that's great. Uh, that's why we've brought you on.
4: Yeah, no. I think it's important that you put it out there because it's it, it's, it's unfair. Um, it's, I know people that have had loads of money and done nothing with it, um, mm. and won nothing with it. You know. You know, I, w- I remember winning the Conference South on six grand a week um, with Lewis back in the day. And people thought that you had double that just because you had the players that you had there, you know. Um, but it's something that I don't think you'll ever be able to change, you know.
1: Yeah, unfortunate. Tom? Um,
0: yeah, so just moving on slightly there, Steve. um Obviously, the listeners won't know this, but I first met you uh, a few months back at QPR's training ground um, where I was watching a game um, and you were there doing a little bit of scouting and meeting one of your old friends, Chris Ramsey. Um, this was a Monday afternoon, driving rain. You were stood there watching the game um, and still took the time to talk to me as a fan of non-league, spent about an hour talking about various players you've managed, etc., I think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, as we've just covered, they judge you by your pitchside reputation, um, but they don't see the amount of work that goes into that. I know a week later you signed Amrit Bancel McNulty on loan. Just how much work do you do in the week away from Dartford's training ground, away from Dartford, in terms of running that football club?
4: It's an eight-day-a-week job, and that's not even, trust me, it's not. That's not a joke. It's my phone's going. There isn't a day off. I have to vet calls on Sundays, whereas there's murders in the house. Um, I've got children, I've got to spend time with them, etc., cetera, et cetera, But it's, But it's, I'm, I'm always on the go. I can't stop. My brain don't stop. It don't switch off. I don't have that moment where I switch off. I thought as I got a little bit older, I would. But I've always been like that. I'm always thinking, if I don't take that call, that could be the next best thing on that line. So I take the call. So it's, it's, it's mental that I, I, I can't switch off. You know, I'm slower, I go to about 150 games a year. Probably more than most, um, even though success, it, breeds, it drives me to, to try and be more successful if I can. Um, I'll always go to those games at any level. I've had phone calls of people saying, you need to go and watch this player. He's 100 miles away. I'll be in the car, I'll be the first one there. Well, the people are like, what are you doing here? And, I'll, you know, I will do that because you might find another Leon leg. Um, you know, I had him I had it on a park. He was playing in a park. It was dogs walking past and I see him playing. You, you'll fight they're there so i will always do that to, to, to look for the next best thing so it, it, it don't stop whether that be agents meeting them meeting players talking to players going to games 23 games you know non-league games higher lower at your level it's, it's time consuming i've always been a manager that's full time i don't have any outside businesses i just concentrate solely on that
0: do you think the players see that as well? I noticed since, you, since you've since you come in at Dartford, you've signed the likes of Jack Jeb, Elliot Romain, Kai Marsh-Brown, people you've worked with before. Do you think they can see that commitment and that breeds a loyalty in the players as well?
4: Yeah, definitely. I, I always say to a player, if player A is going to meet you and they're going to meet someone else, can you sit there and look at that player and go to him, we're going to challenge for the championship this year. We're going to definitely do make the playoffs. We're going to try and do this. We make... I can look there and say that, and in all confidence that that's going to happen. Whereas another manager might not be able to sit and do that because you've never done that and achieved that. So I think you buy into what the actual manager's done, and and then and then the, and the club, and then you know if you've all got that same hunger and desire. I never take a player that's on his last pay, um, you know, an old pro that's experienced that. Once I, I never do that. Um, I try and get the hungry ones that want to kick on and, and go again, which I, you know they know my history of doing with, with players. So I want, they're the ones I want around me. So they buy into knowing that you're going to achieve something this year or your season's going to be alive from August till May.
3: Yes, yeah, Steve, you, you mentioned for a few minutes ago about the fact that you said that you would worked um, at an agency at one point. And, and do you think that, that gives you an, a, an advantage or has that been a big help for you in, in your managerial role in, Knowing the way that 100%. agents work and, and knowing that side of the whole side of the business.
4: Yeah, hundred percent. And what I did, I worked for a, a, a big company, really big, big, big. And I, I looked under, I looked after the young players from 16 to twenty ones. I had 17 England internationals of all their age groups. And he was more like a social worker, really. He was going to watch their games. He was talking to them constantly. Did they need anything? You talk about their games. You talk about, you know, can I get them boot bills Can I? getting this insurance, that insurance. Anyway, the whole Shabaranai players at Man U, Tottenham, Arsenal, I had them everywhere. The one to one with the player and the man management of that player and what players need, your different characters, you've got your little street boys, you've got your you got your well to do boys in the middle of the road. So you're getting to know all different characters and all different walks of life and I think that's been a massive part of, of being successful, what I've taken on from that, um it's the man management of players, knowing what your players need and what makes them tick and what, how you can get the best out of them.
3: Yeah, it strikes me that, that taking that interest in the players and, and doing that one-to-one stuff with them is probably the kind of stuff that um, it inspires a loyalty in them to you, I would imagine. You know, that they, they know that you've worked hard for them in the past and, and they're willing to work hard for you in return.
4: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's been players this year, I won't say names, but that contacted me away from football and said, "Gaffer, I need this help, advice, please. I'm going through a real bad time." I was there for him, you know. Listen, take time off. Don't worry. If I, I'm, let's have a meet. Let's have i I've done everything I can in my power to reassure them, and I think it goes a long way. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people that would turn their back on that and go, "I, I ain't got time for that now." Blah blah blah. But I, I'm not like that. I'm always there, always say to them, I'm there whenever you want to speak.
2: The boys will tell you from recent weeks and recent months, i keep hammering on about the same old thing. Um having played football twenty five years, managed briefly, been involved on the media side for the last ten um mentality, mentality, mentality. I just I just think it's huge and, 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 and you know, let's say a professional footballer or even a semi professional footballer, you're gonna be able to find someone who technically Um, can control a ball, you know, maybe has got three out of five key attributes or whatever. Does it come down more and more and more in terms of making a success of their career and being able to not just get to, but stay at a high level and make it work? Does it really come down to mentality?
4: Yeah, I I think so. Hunger, desire, determination. All them attributes probably come first over the quality at the end of it. Um, I've seen so many players over the years. They've had the quality, but never had the application. Um, I, I was lucky enough, very, very lucky. My my nephew was one of the best players in England. He's now 33, but he was the best, the best 14 year old in England. Every single club in the land wanted him. He used to room with Rain, Wayne Rooney for two years in the England setup. Used to keep Rooney out the side. Um, and I've seen Rooney at 14 years of age. I've seen a lot of David Bentley. I've seen a lot of top footballers at their ages come through the system. Because being involved with my, my sister's boy, I, he was seven years at Spurs. So I used to go to all the different academies and each week watching him, watching him, watching him. And there's so many talented boys that could do unbelievable stuff with the football that never made it. Because of the, that heart, desire and determination. Got a lot of things too early um, didn't have to work for him um, yeah and I've, 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 like I said I've, I've been party to watching a lot of players that you know people worshipping now in the Premier League and that have come through that you know I remember uh, in my in my nephew's um, group at Tottenham there was Charlie Daniels was a left back and Charlie was he was you know he was nowhere, nowhere near it Um and got let go and end up at Bournemouth, and now he's you know premiership player year in year out, year in year out. Um, I can tell you so many stories like that. And,
2: and, and what about the difference? You must have managed. You must have come across this one so many times. The player who does it week in week out, day in day out in training, and he's brilliant yeah. in training, but when he plays yeah. in front of fifteen hundred or two thousand or five thousand people, when push comes to shove and that opportunity comes to him. He doesn't score, and he frequently doesn't score. He can't take it from the training ground onto the pitch. Um, that one must be a real head-scratcher.
4: Yeah, is it is. And, and, and vice versa, shocking in training. And when it comes to the match day, it was done the business, you know. Uh, Brilliant.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kabongo <laughs> Shimanga. Yeah, I'm going to get on my other hobby horse here. He <laughs> came on loan from MK Dons to Aldershot. Um, on the back of scoring all sorts of record-breaking goal tallies, but apparently didn't look all that in training, so he never really got a chance. Look what he then did with Oxford City. Look what he's now doing with Boreham Wood. A good yeah, manager yeah. has got to be able to tell whether they're going to do it when it counts.
4: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I agree with that 100%. But you're, you're also fine. I had this conversation with a, a manager in my league today, this morning, and... We'll also say when you see a player and you think, I'd love to sign him because he's been outstanding for that club, he's not necessarily necessarily going to be outstanding for you. Um, different managers know how to tick different boxes for different players. So you have to try and get near to what you want to try and make that relationship relationship work. Um and that manager-player relationship
1: doesn't matter what level is the most important one. 100%. Um, we've had a couple of questions sent in, uh, Steve. We, we told people we were on the show, so people have uh, got in touch. One of them is, is Darren. He's a regular contributor. He, he, he does a lot for Chelmsford and does their podcast there. But he said... Um, you're saying this season your Darvard side appeared to play more through the midfield compared to your previous teams. Have you changed your general approach where you're just playing to the strengths of, of your players? So, do you adapt with sort of the players that you have to each club that you go to?
4: Yeah, well, this year I I came in during it, uh, like I said, during the season. So, mm. it ain't give me time to build my own style in the way we play. You know, I've always played good football through the thirds, if you want to call it, uh, through midfield to forwards, etc. So, this year I've had to come in a group that was free falling, changed mentalities of some of them, changed styles as well, um, because they just used to play long ball. Um to to then play football. So and the players that I actually bought in are trusted players that some of them I knew um and you know what you're gonna get. And and I bought in sort of more footballers, athletic that sort of um that sort of kind of player really. So we have we have changed the style from where they were pre uh, start of the season. But as a rule, I've been lucky to go into most of my clubs where I've had a blank canvas in start of the season and I can build what way I want to build.
1: And we've also had a tweet in from someone who calls themselves S Z N on Twitter and he said, where do you see the club going in the next five to ten years? Can they become professional? Can they reach the EFL?
4: Oof. Um. Yeah. Darfur have got good aspirations they they want to get promoted they're, they want to go up they want to go as high as as far as they can but you're always governed by finances fan bases all that sort of stuff you know they're not they're, they're part time we are looking at a full time model but that would all depend on what division we're in and when we're in that division um there's lots of things like that so I think everybody can sit here and say oh their dream is to get a club into the football league and da, da, da. that's me personally for me as a manager i'd love to do that um but we've certainly got a good setup as good as anything you'll see in in, in non-league stadium wise and potential wise um the club's got a lot of potential there's a lot of other facets that have to come into play we don't have a, a, a like a sugar, sugar daddy puts all the money in his community run club it's mm. well run live within their means and that's how it should be, hundred percent. You know, then, but they don't want to go boom and bust. They are sensible, and you know, like I said, when I first went in, it was just make sure we stay in this division. That was that was my remit, and obviously we've we've done what we've done. But I don't think there's any wrong time or right time for promotion. Are you ready? The setup's certainly ready, um, and I think it's a club that would take it as in when and adjust to it as as you go along.
1: Yeah, it's a cracking little stadium there, especially with the wooden man with his legs akimbo. I've never worked that nah. out. I mean, are you able to shed no, any right. more light on that? I,
4: I, I haven't got a clue. I haven't asked that one.
1: <laughs> it must be. so I think, because is, is it one of these eco-friendly stadiums? Is that why the yeah. they've done it yeah. like that as
3: well? Yeah. I was going to uh, something else. I think somebody else had mentioned as well that um, Steve, you, no- you noted for your your dress sense on the touchline. I would say um, uh, and, and being a very stylish dresser on the on the touchline, may I say, is that just sort of just an extension of your personality? Was that that's not a, that's not a calculated thing on your part to sort of you know convey yeah, yeah. a particular no, image? I,
4: I, no, no. I've always been into clothes. I always have you know and. I've got over three hundred pairs of shoes indoors. It's it's crazy. Um, I've, I've always been like that. Just just that's me. Uh, I am what I am, and I've always I've always loved fashion and love clothes. Um, yeah.
3: So it's just you. Yeah, it's just it's just Steve King that we're
4: seeing. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah.
2: And Steve's found almost as many shoes as he has players.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Darren asked that as well as another question going. I really like Steve's coats. I, I want to get one of my hands on one of those coats one day. So yeah, you obviously you're making waves in the fashion world as well as the football world, Steve. I was
4: doing a game at Macclesfield when we played uh, uh Swindon Town in the FA Cup, and they were top of League One of flying. Decanio uh, was the manager, and we had to do uh, a thing for the Evening Standard, I think it was, and. I had to dress in a way and he was dressing in his green coat or whatever it was and we did a head-to-head and all that. It was, it was brilliant. It was, uh, yeah, you know, people like Paul Tisdale, you know, I love his dress sense on the line. Um, he's a unique one-off guy. That's that's him as a person and, I, and that's kind of me. Um, mm.
1: I've always said that. I never get why managers make an effort to put on a seat or a track seat. Just wear what you feel most comfortable in. I suppose if, you, if you're if you comfortable and relaxed, you, you'll get the best out of yourself.
4: Yeah, hundred uh, percent. It's a job, and I take it seriously. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 I try to be smart, but casual smart as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I love fashion. It's the
1: yeah. answer. Before we finish moving on, there was uh, an interesting tweet we were tagged into this week from at OT Analysis, and I know you guys uh love. Your stats, don't you? So, um, there was goals and assist data for the National League North 1920, non-penalty goals and assist per 90 minutes, defenders and win backs only, minimum of a thousand meters, no age filter. And, uh, there was different ones and there was also goal scoring ones as well. The most interesting one that was, uh, came out of that was also, um, that Aaron Martin had scored a goal but got no assist, Dickie, in the end.
3: Yeah, it's quite noticeable, the Aaron Martin one, and you, you mentioned there the qualifying criteria for being included in this was plays he played more than a 1,000 minutes, so essentially just over 11 full games of football. I think Aaron Martin might have been averaging something like a goal a game over something like the first 15 games or so of the season, but then got injured, Um and I'm not sure has really played that much more since, but yeah that that doesn't surprise me in a way to see him there, I mean it, it, I think it's saying he, he contributed was it 0.8 either a goal or assist per 90 minutes so I, I think that averages it out something like 8 goals for every 9 games played or something like that, so yeah and, and I suppose it's that kind of strike rate that, that got him a move to Harrogate Town a few weeks ago
1: yeah, not played for him yet, but we're interested to see how he does there with full-time football. It's for every player. He's played over a 1,000 minutes this season. Understandably, at the top was Adam Marriott of Kingsland Town. who was involved in just under um, 1.00. Uh, so he got loads of goals and quite a few assists as well, along with uh, Aquasia Sanse at Chester and. In- it is really interesting because obviously we, we talk about players that are involved a lot, but then there are the stats in front of you.
3: Yeah, they are. And, and that balance between goals and assists is really interesting. But these are, The top three in this table is Marriott, quasi Asante from Chester um, and, and, and Aaron Martin himself. And I think they're, they're virtually all there. By, by virtue of, of the actual goals that they've scored per game, it goes a little bit lower then, and then you get down to Jordan, the likes of Jordan Hume at Alteringham. It's, it's not quite a 50 50, but there's a bit more of a split there between um, goals and assists. And then his teammate, um, Josh Hancock, is just a couple of places below him as well. He's got more goals and assists, so obviously you can see there that, that perhaps that dynamic of, of Hume being the provider for, for Hancock when he can't put the ball in the net himself. you got the likes of Lee and Love from Rackley in there as well, um, known to uh, myself from a few weeks ago. You know, mm-hmm. we spoke about him on this podcast, and he's got his excellent strike rate. I think possibly Glenn Taylor from Spennymoor might have been higher up if this included penalties, but he's uh, but the penalties aren't included in this one. And there might be one or two of these players who perhaps would have featured higher had penalty kicks been included as well.
1: Yeah, interesting as well. As I say, the full won. The one, uh, David Ferguson at York is top. He's contributed just under 0.45 goals, whether it be assists or goals. Of uh, course, followed by J. J. O'Donnell, who's conceded, uh, he's assisted, uh, he scored a lot of goals this year, along with Thierry O'Dell. And James Jones, although he's at the bottom, he's got a better scoring rate than assists as well. So that's interesting, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. It didn't surprise me about, um, about Ferguson. I mean, when he was at, um, he, he established a really good reputation at Darlington as a, a really sort of like buccaneering, uh, overlapping fullback who would, who would get up and contribute goals and contribute assists. And, and he's done the same again for York this season. I know, um, uh, when, when York, when I went to, to York with Telford earlier in the season, we lost 2-0, a couple of legs goals and I think it was his cross that uh, Elliot Durrell scored what eventually ended up being the winning goal from. He didn't quite find his range that day but, but the the crosses just kept on coming and I suppose there's that thing if you if you if if you let him keep on putting boxes balls into the box eventually somebody's gonna get on the end of them.
1: Tom it's a statsman dream that isn't it those stats?
0: It's really fascinating I've really enjoyed listening to that actually. Um uh, I find it's interesting with Thierry Odell that he's um had a very similar season from fullback as he did from centre-back for, weirdly, Steve King at Welling last season. Um, he scored seven for the second consecutive season, so it's been a really good signing for Brackley in defence.
1: They are going to bring, they have promised that they're going to do something for the National League South and the National League coming up. So once we get them out, we'll bring them to you. But uh, yeah, fascinating and I'm sure that'll go on your your spreadsheet somewhere, Tom.
0: Yeah, I'm
3: sure I'll find room for it somewhere. <laughs> you did you did yeah and and I would say in the tweet in the week you did mention to me about about looking for the Telford player in here, and I think o t analysis who did this did actually reply and said there was one player who's discounted by age. I've had somebody come uh, a Telford fan actually reply to me in the week and said they think it might be Marcus denanga, I think he's averaging a goal. Every 137 minutes. So yeah, I think based on the number of games he's played, you think if if uh, if, if if the age qualification were removed, then, then Marcus Denager might be the Telford player who is in there. But yeah, I was racking my brains; I couldn't think who it was going to be.
0: Yeah, wow. Denager's got 11 goals for the
3: season in the league, with uh, Aaron Williams second with eight. In Telford. Yeah, he's, and and he's not really got a regular run in the side until well probably about a month before Christmas to be perfectly honest he got a hat-trick uh, a second half hat-trick coming off the substitutes bench at Darlington and I think he's been fairly hard to leave out since then
1: I love the fact that it stumped you Dickie as well not knowing who it was
3: <laughs> well I did think Ryan Barnett was my other option because um, I know he we've got he's on loan from Shrewsbury Town and he's um, he's a good provider um, for the Telford forwards but yeah I got the feeling it might be Denanga was the player that, um, that they were alluding to in that tweet there
0: Think how much I'm higher up on. that
3: team they'd be if Amari Morgan-Smith had stayed. Uh, yes, I know. And, and this, th- 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 there were a good many Telford fans earlier in the season um, when when Telford didn't start off firing that, that were pointing to Amari um, Morgan-Smith's terrific early season form at Alfreton. I think he was averaging something like a goal a game over the first 10 games or so. But yeah, then unfortunately, I think the goals dried up for him and, and I think when the goals dried up for him, Alter, um, sorry, Altrin, Alfredton dropped down the table. So, um, yeah, I think he's a player that, you know, if, if we'd have liked, if we could have retained him, I think we would have liked to have done. But, um, obviously, um, managers make choices based on, you know, what they think is going to be the right thing. They brought in Aaron Williams. He's got a really good track record at this level as well. And, um, you know, he's that's. You wouldn't say that's necessarily worked out yet, but I wouldn't write Aaron Williams off. I think his his goal scoring records is, is exceptional, and I think he'll he'll come again.
1: Brilliant. Well, Steve, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. No, I've
4: enjoyed it. Um, you know, you got some options that you're looking for, and they've you know hit, shed a little bit of light and my thoughts on on, on the non-league world. Um, yeah, and it's been. You know, pleasure
1: to be asked to come on. Best of luck for the rest of the season, if it restarts, of course.
4: Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys.
1: Thanks for joining us, Rob.
4: Pleasure as
2: always. Fascinating chat. What a what a character he is, Steve King. And, uh, you know, the best of luck to him in the game. And uh, I hope he's uh, changed a few people's
3: perceptions today.
1: that. Nice one. Well, Dickie, thanks for joining us.
3: No, you're very welcome.
1: Glad he was able to in the air. Yeah, 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 we won't go, we won't go into the issues you've been having uh, before. Yeah, don't,
3: don't, don't, don't like let the leaders know or the, the listeners know about have having trouble when we stop cock.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and uh, Tom, thanks for, uh, thanks for gracing us with your presence this week.
0: Always a pleasure.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and give us a follow on Twitter at an Full time. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Stay safe, look after yourself and stay indoors. And uh, thanks very much for listening.